Welcome to Diverse, a Society of Women Engineers podcast. SWE gives women engineers a unique place and voice within the engineering community. On Diverse, we highlight the incredible thought leaders and personalities in our community and discover who they are at home, at work, and in between. You can find all of our podcast episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and iHeartRadio. Hello, I'm Linda Grindstaff, and welcome to Diverse, a SWE podcast. Please remember to subscribe and follow us on Instagram at SWE Diverse Podcast. I'm a vice president at McAfee and a SWE fellow. I've been an active member of SWE for over three decades. I've won three national SWE awards, and I've held positions at the local, regional, and national levels. On today's episode of Diverse, I'm very excited to be joined by Julie Castro Abrams, founder and CEO of How Women Lead. Julie has spent 20 years helping women launch and grow successful businesses, and today is tackling inequity in venture investing in women founders. Julie is a co-founder of the nation's only venture firm focused exclusively on companies founded by women called How Women Invest. She has a vision that women are equally represented in every leadership role. I'm especially excited for today's diverse podcast because I am also a founding limited partner with How Women Invest and a strategic advisor in How Women Leaders for the World program, where I provide executive mentorship and coaching to startups and early stage companies. Julie, thank you for joining us today. Let's jump in. Sounds great, Linda. I can't wait. So Julie, can you share with our listeners at SWE who may not be familiar with How Women Lead, what it is and how it began? Yeah. So really, this is an effort for top executive women who, frankly, this is the first generation of us where we have, you know, 20, 30 years of business expertise and we are in positions of power and influence. It's an opportunity for all of us to get together, especially those ceiling-breaking women, and to support each other to move the needle, to break through those glass ceilings and get individually, each of us and all of us collectively to be represented in the equal numbers that we should be represented in. So we're trying to tackle inequity for top women leaders. And that's that's really what how this all began, you know, I had a group of friends that I had done different projects with over time. And I'll never forget, I brought everyone together for a lunch one day. And it was stunning to see just the relief and the joy that people had in being together with other top executive women. There just felt like there was never an opportunity to do that. And when you're a ceiling breaker, it's awfully lonely. And we know developmentally, by the time we're about 45, we have different needs than we had when we were younger. So in your 30s, you're running up the ladder, you might be raising a family. It's super like in the, you know, getting into action all the time. There comes a point in your life when your influence and power is the name of the game, uh, much more than what you're doing and how you're scaffolding your skill set. And we are better and happier if we're doing things together and if we're having an impact. So most of us start to turn ourselves to addressing issues that are going on in the world. And we love doing it in community with another group of women. So 
that's kind of the science and the why and and what we're trying to accomplish. Thanks. And I, I see very, or a lot of similarities between SWE and how women lead because, you know, in women in engineering, there isn't a lot of us. And so, you know, within SWE, we are able to be with other like-minded women and being included and, and being together. And I know that with How Women Lead, you have a credo. And can you tell us about the credo and how that came to be and, and just sure. what, what makings of sure. that was? So, so we all grew up in an environment, especially if you're a little bit you know older in your journey, right? We definitely grew up in an environment where it wasn't great for women, and we weren't actually really good with each other. The culture sort of set us up to compete in ways that were false and not necessary. And it actually has made it hard for some of us to get ahead. And I would, you know, ask questions of women about, you know, when are you thriving and who's helped you the most? And there were some surprising responses that we found. So, so this is what we did. We actually kind of codified how I like to engage and work with people. I noticed how hungry and happy people were to be together with us and asked them, what are we doing that's differently and why? And so here's the invitation. It's countercultural by definition and, and a way for women to feel like you can thrive and be safe. And I want every single one of you to take this and make it your own and, and develop it. So one, we ask people, we ask women to be fierce advocates for each other. And what that means to me is I actively work to make, help you be successful. And Often what's happened in our lives is you kind of felt like someone was actively working to block you. So if that sounds familiar at all, or if you've ever been in those environments, you know, there was even a movie called Mean Girls. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us have been in those environments, right? Where women sort of pitted against each other and we get it. We get it naturally. We get it honestly through this culture that we all have today. We just need to change the culture and be better with each other and actually actively work to support each other. And I'm talking about business support as much as personal support. So none of the backstabbing, none of the blocking. Really, there's plenty of resources and try and think of the world as, as a no, with no limitations. There's abundance. So our second invitation and in the credo is to say yes to making introductions and helping each other. A lot of the women we've talked to said that men actually make more introductions for them than women do. And and that can't be good. And so I reflected on myself and thought, you know, have I ever acted too protectionist or precious about the people I know? And I, I don't naturally go there, but I did, I did realize that over the course of my career, I felt like I gotten the message that I had to be careful not to make a mistake in introducing somebody that wasn't perfect. And, and that's just, it's unnecessary. And I even would go to some women's organizations and they would say, this is a no pitch zone as if somehow we're precious and, and by pitching, it's an ugly thing. And it's, it's just not, we need to help each other get ahead. So I actually ask you, like, if someone says, can you introduce me to someone? Your first response is yes. And then you figure out how to do it in the right way. But that's, that really is a departure from what the environment we've, a lot of us have been in. The third invitation is to reinforce her voice when she speaks up and isn't heard. So all you engineers who are listening that have been the only woman in the room and said something and there was silence. And then a couple of minutes later, somebody else says it. And you're like, wait, that that was, how is that possible that you didn't hear what, that I just said those words. 
it's ubiquitous. We've all had that experience. And even in the White House during President Obama's term, you know, the women would make sure that there were two or three women in every meeting and they had a pact where they would back each other up when they weren't being heard. And so you can do that in person and we can also do it virtually. You know, if somebody in SWE writes an article or gets a win, gets a promotion, we should all be singing that from the rooftops and really promoting her success. And then finally, and this is the one that's hardest for most women, I think it's probably even harder for engineers, which is to be unabashedly visible. I know a lot of us think I'm the behind the scenes person. I'm the one who gets everything done. I don't need recognition and visibility. Well, that all could be true. But this is what I want you to think about. My daughter works in tech. She's watching you. She's getting her cues from how you show up. And if you shrink and hide, she's going to think that's somehow you get the message that that's what you should do as well. So if you're not necessarily doing it for yourself, I would say you do it for the younger women like my daughter and really speak and write articles and put your, put your own stamp on the world, be, be unabashed and visible. And I can't wait to see you change in the world as a result. That's great, Julie. And, and I, I've seen it firsthand as being part of how women lead and how women invest for the, the last three years that, you know, and for the the women engineers, you know, I went into how women lead when, when I first heard the credo and was thinking, yeah, okay. People say, oh yeah, I'll help you. You know, it's kind of like, yeah, we should do lunch one day. And then, you know, they never call. Um, but what I've seen at how women lead is, is every single woman actually lives the credo and it makes me and others want to live it as well. And so I'm really excited, you know, to bring this to SWE. And and I know there's so many amazing women in SWE that already are helping each other. But like you said, as we as we look at that next generation and what can we do for them because the nonverbal cues are are so important that we keep that top of mind. And so along those lines, how do you think that that how women lead differs from other women's initiatives? And, you know, there are a lot of similarities with SWE, but, but how is it different? Well, I would, say, I would say the credo is actually a big part of it. And this is the thing, like, we all want to be that way with each other. But unless you actually come out and say it and invite people and repeat it and really, and, and people who aren't behaving well, you invite them to change or to move on out of the organization, that really is transformational. People walk in, and especially women of color. They hear the credo and they're like, oh, I feel like I feel safer. This feels like a better environment for me. And so I just think it's the intention. And it also, anytime you have something like that, you have shared culture then. And shared culture is a really important glue. So I think that's part of it. I would say the other part of it is I am all about justice and I'm about action. And so we don't just talk, we get into action. We've driven legislation. Uh, we place women on boards. We train women to get on boards. I serve on the governor's task force about getting on boards. You know, we really are serious about the science and methodology for change making, the engineering of it, if you will. And really, you know, it's not just yes, come here, take a class, or come and meet one person, but it's a, an absolute commitment to collectively coming together and changing the world. And I think by by setting that out, we've created this loving, supportive environment. We have thousands of women involved with this organization. This isn't just a small group of people. 
And those women are all collectively committed and often evolving in their own sort of identity related to leadership and change in the world. But we're all committed to to moving the needle for other women and for ourselves. And I just think that getting into action, like we're going to change the numbers. In California, 10 to 12%, depending on the day that you put the measuring stick out there, in about 2010, 10 to 12% of all corporate board directors and public companies that you could track were women. And a group of us, we did not by any means do any anything alone. We were we were, rode the coattails as well as pushed the envelope with other women's organizations. So, but we did a whole change process and we are now at 32% of public company board directors in California are women. That is a massive shift. Think mm-hmm. about, you know, if you're the only woman in the room, it is very hard to be heard or to get to actually have big impact on culture and and outcomes. So think about it. If you were the 10%, you know, of corporate directors being women, those corporations weren't really getting the benefit of diverse voices on those boards. And it was hard for those women. They kind of had to act like men in many cases and really sort of embed in that culture as opposed to being able to help evolve cultures. Now, three out of, you know, six, seven, eight board members being women, you really have a critical mass and you can make change happen. So monumental shifts like that are the kinds of things that we've been part of and really believe in and don't shy away from taking a risk. I had women who said, hey, I don't want to be seen as being a quota, you know, women who are already on corporate boards. And and, and I get that. I totally understand it. And yet we had to establish targets in order to move the needle. It was a courageous act. There were some people who were like, I'm not going to be supportive of this. And that that's okay. Because we had to, we had, I I personally have to live true to my values and what I believe in. Well, that is just a phenomenal feat. And and I know that you're not done yet. And you know, you've like you said, you've driven legislation and you mentioned some of the classes and things. So in back in the fall of 2021, we had an entire issue of our SWE magazine dedicated to getting on corporate boards. What other tips do you have for our listeners of things that they can do to get on boards? You know, now that that this legislation is, is in place and these other, you know, the momentum's going, so to speak, what, what other things can people do and, and our listeners? Thank you for asking that question. If it's okay, I'm going to answer it with a couple different lenses. One is what can you do to impact this momentum today? And the one thing you can do is ask questions. Every time you hire a contractor or work with a partner or even inside your own company, just ask how many women are on your board. It changes the, it literally bubbles up and changes people's behavior if enough people ask. So you never know if you're going to be the one that tips the tips the scales. So please just be an activist in just asking. You don't have to do much. You don't have to stick your neck out too hard. Just ask the question, especially if you're interviewing for a job, Not can't hurt to ask. All right. With that said, there's, I would say there's, there's sort of the people who are earlier in their career and they're starting to plot out how they could get on a board in the future. And then there's the, what do you do today to get that board seat? So let's start with the plotting career folks. The, the definition of who gets on a board continues to evolve. And so the asset management firms like BlackRock and State Street and Fidelity are really big influencers in governance and composition because they're the ones who buy up about 50% of the stock when a company goes public. They have a big impact because they don't always 
they may vote against your slate of officers or or new board members if they don't believe that it's the best leadership for a company. Those are the folks who came out and said you had to have two people, two women on your board in order for them to invest. That was their requirement. They were the first movers before any legislation was passed. I'm telling you this because I I think you should read those, keep track of what's going on with those investors, the asset managers like BlackRock and State Street. They'll send just once a year, they have a letter that they send out that says, this is what we think is necessary for corporate governance. So first it was probably not first, but there was a, you know, they, they talked about women, two women on a board. State Street came out a year or so later that said culture trumps physical assets in in corporate value. So keeping track of you know those trends, they they require cybersecurity expertise, or you have to have on your board, or you have to have a significant cybersecurity plan. So those are the kinds of things you can just keep an eye on and make sure you're sharpening your sword. It's going to continue to evolve. It used to be that most board members were all CFOs and CEOs, but I think that that's an important for, thing for you to think about. Another thing is, how are you really building your own leadership skills? And there are a couple of things to think about. One is, do you have P&L responsibility? Are you over both sides of the responsibility for a project or a team? And it doesn't have to be the biggest project ever. Like start to scaffold your, your career so that you're taking on projects where you own both the revenue and the expenses. That's because that changes how you view and it's super, you know, you have to hold the container for all of it, both sides of the the work. The other thing is go on nonprofit boards because it teaches you how to be a good governor. You learn how to ask good questions. I'm an operator. I love getting stuff done. The first couple nonprofit boards I was on, I was disruptive and not a good board director because I got so frustrated and I was like, let me just do it. Well, that's not what board members are supposed to do. You're supposed to ask great questions so that the CEO and the leadership team can build out their their own strategy and response. So the other thing is, and nonprofit boards are not, nobody looks at you as a board corporate board director candidate and says, oh, great, you're on this nonprofit board. It's both how you learn how to be a good governor, but it's also how you networks and your brand the majority of the women who I know, who especially were the first corporate directors, they got that first corporate director role because they were on the nonprofit board that was very influential with somebody who could vouch for them and recommend them. So to me, you can do that in your 20s. Just start now, starting to learn about governance and start putting yourself out there in the community as a leader. Similarly, I would say be a convener. Even if you're just inviting people to come have dinner, think about a couple, stretch people who you'd like to get to know better, maybe a couple people who are peers, and just invite them to dinners and have conversations. Nobody needs to give you permission to do that. It is not that hard to do. And you can go Dutch, but it is. those are really important ways to build your network and start to be seen as somebody people can count on. And so another example would be to, you know, it, Linda was talking when you first started, Linda, you were sharing all the different roles you played within Sweep. Step up and lead and be seen as a leader, write articles about it, or otherwise make sure your voice is seen and heard out in the community. I think those are, those are really important first steps. And then for those of you who are ready to really begin this board journey, first and foremost, define your value proposition. What do you bring to the board, a boardroom? What governance expertise can you bring to that board? And when you think about your resume that you use for a job, 
it's really, um, there's pieces of that that are relevant, but you got to pivot your communications and your thinking, and it's not easy to do. So I always like to have a, you know, one, you can go through a how women lead board readiness training that'll give you all the structure and support to scaffold it and think about, you know, all the different ways you talk about yourself. But at the very least, get together with a couple other people who know you well and ask them what they see in you and start to really get out of your own head. And, you know, if you've never talked about yourself as a board director or governor, it's going to be, it's super hard to pivot from, well, I manage a team of this, you know, what you would normally put in a, in like a resume. So really define your value proposition. And then I'd say, pick the five companies you want to go on the board of and start to network with the people who you have, who have anything to do with those companies on the board or in the C-suite. By building those relationships, you might get a board seat in that company if you if you tell them what your value proposition is and you keep in touch with them. But the other thing that happens is another person who's on one of those boards is going to be tapped for other board opportunities and they're going to have a conflict of interest. They can't do it. If you're in their minds, they will say, yeah, but I talked to Linda and I think she might be great for your board position. But remember, you're going to have to be on that top of that person's mind. So you you may think you're bugging people. But you got to stay top of mind. And so I would say, you know, write them little updates or call them. And there are a couple of people that have been so disciplined and religious about how they followed up with me. I think of them because they're so good at it. They invite me to things. They give me updates on their board search. They think of me and send me articles. That Those are not hard things to do. And that really makes me think of them first because where our brains are so clouded, it's hard to, to remember everybody who you've talked to. And finally, I would say, narrow the aperture of what you say is your, your value and what you're looking for. Every pe- So let me give you an example. If you say, if I said to you, can you find me a woman in technology to connect with? You'd be like, well, okay. I don't know what you want from me. If I say, can you find me a woman engineer? You'd be like, well, I'm part of SWE and I know thousands. If I say, can you help me find a woman engineer who works in medical technology and, you know, has, you know, done something in China? Okay, now you're talking. Now I can actually see if I can find that someone specific for you. That's just an example to say, like, people people need specificity to actually be able to move and to help you and to remember you. And they'll always open the aperture because if you say that to me and then I find an opportunity for a healthcare board that doesn't have anything to do with medical technology, but I know that you're sort of adjacent to that, I'll contact you and say, hey, would you consider a board that looks like this? I know that's not exactly what you said, but at least you're remembered. And I think it builds the saying, right? Telling people that this is what, what you're interested in and this is what you can do and this is what you can bring to the table because nobody can read our minds. And so if you don't say, I'm looking for a board and I this isn't a career aspiration or a career goal of mine, nobody's going to know. So you have to put yourself out there. Yeah, exactly. So one of the other things that you talked on, well, first, for all of our sweet listeners, I highly recommend the How Women Lead board readiness session. I have taken it and it was very enlightening because um, as engineers, we, we tend to want to be very prepared and we don't know what we don't know. And the board readiness session that How Women Lead hosts is very informative. So I highly recommend that. The other thing, you can gain a lot of experience through SWEET. Things like the audit committee, that's very similar to how a non, well, we are a nonprofit at SWEET, 
but how a nonprofit actually handles audits and the finance committees. And so there's a lot of things that you can do to start to build your board readiness experience within SWE. And SWE is a very safe environment that, that we can grow and, and continue to develop all of those skills as we, we continue on our career journeys. So switching gears for a bit, I wanted to touch on how women invest. And you are really changing the face of venture and changing how, you know, nation or how, how companies and venture firms are looking at that. Tell our, our listeners really how did How Women Invest come to be and, and what does it entail? Okay. Well, first and foremost, Linda and some other friends and I got together and we were like, do you realize only 2% of all venture dollars go to companies founded by women? 98% go to companies founded by men. Does that make any sense in 2022? Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's insane. And you think, and think about it, we're talking to women engineers on this call. Think about all the brilliant women engineers that are part of SWE alone. Think about how many companies and innovations and you know ideas that all of you have. And the fact that it's so it's so anemic and, and biased, it's absolutely unacceptable. So we got together and we we're like, all right, if we what if we pool our money together and create a venture firm? So that was sort of step one is a group of us got together during the pandemic when I think Linda, you and me and people just needed to do something bigger than ourselves. We needed to feel like we could be part of something that could change things. And we raised $10 million and started investing in companies. And a year and a half later, two of those companies have sold. Uh, two out of the nine we've made investments in, which is huge. I mean, Crazy. that's a really big And during deal. a pandemic. Yeah, exactly. And so so we did that fund and then we're like, all right, well, that's kind of later stage, you know, series A and B companies. We saw a whole bunch of companies that were much earlier stage and we we're like, all right, we're going to miss out on investing in these companies because we're not investing early enough. So let's start another fund for $20 million where we can invest in early stage companies. So so that fund has just started this year and we're just we've made five investments in really great companies. So we're doing it. We're and we're only investing in companies founded exclusively by women. And then our next fund's gonna be 150 million dollars. So we're not playing small. Our no. goal is to build a billion dollar firm, and that's gonna be exciting. But that is just the tip of the iceberg. To me, that's kind of the equivalent of putting women on corporate boards. We helped 34 women get on corporate boards last year, but we gotta do movement building, gotta change the environment. So so we have a big effort. Our venture firm is it's a standalone for-profit venture firm. We have a nonprofit, How Women Lead. And that's where we do the activism and education and, and movement building like we're doing with this call today. I want all of you to start putting investing in venture on your radar. It doesn't have to be with us. I just want you to start thinking about investing. It's good for your portfolio right now when the market's down and everybody's worried about their, you know, their Schwab account. Venture is actually doing really well. And this is when all those hot companies start, right? So we presented last week to a group called the Women's Business Council that is, is a White House Congress Small Business Administration trifectorate. And we put four policy recommendations forward for them, which is, which is a, a really big, bold move. And they're assertive. And it's all about helping women get investment and women run venture firms thrive because there's all kinds of, as much as there's bias to that result in only 2% of women getting funded, 
women who are working in venture firms, running venture firms have a really hard time because of all the bias in the market. So we're we're doing movement building. Our goal is to get 10,000 women to invest in venture capital for the first time. So this is what you need to know. You're invited. When you invest in a venture firm, you don't need to know how to in- make decisions about investing in small businesses. I know how to do that. You just need to pick a venture firm that aligns with your values and you feel good about. It is just like investing in the stock market with your retirement. It is donor advised funds, which is where you know people put money into essentially your own you know tax exempt effort than funds nonprofits grant with you know donations and grants that you might do. A lot of those vehicles, all those vehicles, like your retirement and your donor advised fund, those you invest the money until you're ready to you know donate or return you know pull money out for your retirement. You might as well be investing it in a diverse portfolio with a diverse asset class. So to me, it's it's safer for for you to have some of your money in venture capital. And all you have to do is find a firm that you feel good about that is going to, you know, align with your values and you think the leaders know what they're doing. And the rest is up to them to to make good decisions in investing. So that's that's what I want you to know. It's not rocket science. You know enough. If, as long as you're an accredited investor, which means you make $200,000 a year or more as an individual, and there's a couple other measures, but that's sort of a good starting point, $300,000 for a couple or a family, you can invest in venture. And 50% of our limited partners, our investors are women of color. You do not need some special magic pass. You're invited. That's my story. And I know it can be scary too. And so I know that you also offer classes on angel investing and, and things like that. So you know, before you write out that check to invest, you know, you can can talk to other uh, limited partners or, or definitely take the angel investing class too. Indeed. Indeed. So with How Women Lead and How Women Invest and, and the other programs that you offer, where can people go if they want to learn more and get involved? www.howwomenlead.com is probably the first starting point. But if you'd like to look at our venture firm, it's howwomeninvest.com. Great. And I know that you can also search for the blog post on Altogether by searching for the name of this blog post called How Women Lead, and you can find more information that way too. So Julie, if you could give one piece of advice to our listeners that are trying to grow their careers in investing or get on a corporate board or you know, really any anything that you would like to, to give that you haven't already touched on, what would that be? We are our biggest barriers in many cases. You can't control other people, but you can control yourself. So just take the leap, find within yourself or get some friends to support you in being, taking big moves and just taking a leap of faith and believing that you can. That's really what's required for most of us is to just start on the journey and believe that we can and just get, just get going. You can intellectualize this a lot. A lot of women really want to know everything before they, they move so they don't make a mistake. Sure. Especially engineers. So, yeah, go get educated. <laughs> That's fine. But you know enough. You really do. So just, just get into action. And I, you know, we're, I run a nonprofit. Our goal is you to be powerful and successful. That is it. That's my whole reason for being at this life stage in my life. So you don't have to worry anyone's trying to, you know, convince you to do something that you that's not right for you. This is a community of people who just want to see you be successful. 
to step into your power and influence, ladies. That's you awesome. have more than you know. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that I've, I've definitely enjoyed through my journey with how women lead. And I'm definitely not done with that or sweet. But it, we need to believe in ourselves and not be afraid to take that risk. And, and I think as we get more women into the boardrooms and more women at the top of the company ladders, you know, it shows us that it is possible and we don't have to be afraid to be out there all alone by ourselves. Well, and SWE is such a beautiful community because they're people who get you. They know your journey. They know the challenges you have. But listen, you are all smart, capable women who've got amazing educations and, and jobs, et cetera. There is no reason to hide your light under the bushel. Every one of you needs to stand up and be a role model because we need more girls believing they can be engineers today. As you know, many of us grew up in an environment where more women were going into engineering. So be visible and, and show, show what it looks like to be a badass woman engineer. And the SWE community is just such a fantastic propulsion opportunity for all of you. And we have, we have 33 events on boards on the week of October 17th, if you in, in 1920 or 2022. So if you're hearing this before then, uh, join us, you know, for an hour long session on different elements of getting on a board. You're invited. We're great. We partner with SWE and um, are excited for all the women engineers to start stepping into their power and run on the world even more than you already do. Absolutely. Julie, is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners today? Well, leaders like Linda Grindstaff are the example for all of us to follow. She is powerful and strong and shows us what true commitment to other women looks like by all her leadership roles and SWE and with me at How Women Lead. So be like Linda, I think is, you know, if you need, if you need somebody to emulate, she's, you, you are it, Linda. Oh, I thank you, Julie. I admire and respect you so much. Oh, thank you so much. Yes, I love both organizations as I received my uh, pin in the mail the other day saying I had 30 years. I had no idea it had been that long and started to feel feel old <laughs> that I've been around for three decades. But SWE has been an amazing organization. And, and you know, for our, our newer members to SWE, you know, really go with the credo and, and help each other, you know, saying yes to each other, reinforce all of our voices and, and be invisible, you know. SWE is, has been my rock definitely throughout my career and, and my journey. So Julie, thank you again for taking the time to speak with SWE today. I really enjoyed all of the tips that you have shared with our readers about how to get involved with How Women Lead, as well as How Women Invest. And I look forward to seeing many more SWE faces on both sides within our, at our national conference, as well as with How Women Lead and How Women Invest activities. Have a great rest of your day, ladies. Great. Thanks, Julie. I'm Linda Grindstaff. And for all of us at SWE, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Diverse. Please don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with your social network. You can keep up to date with our podcast on Instagram at SWE Diverse Podcast and on our blog, altogether at altogether.swe.org.